Welcome to another edition of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and eventually Michael Rand of the Star <laughs> Tribune. We recorded eventually joined by Michael Rand in the past. <laughs> you could explain why. <laughs> yeah. We recorded earlier today a about half hour episode updating you on where the defensive coordinator search or how we had gotten to this point on the defensive coordinator search in literally what was it 45 minutes after we got done recording they hired brian flores yeah. as the defensive coordinator to replace ed donatel that news comes down the pike right after um ben you'd been updating us all along on this search of the twists and turns which you will hear on the second half or two, last two-thirds of this podcast i should That's say pretty cool <laughs> right now we're just going to talk about uh, what this hire means um, for the Vikings as Kevin O'Connell gets his uh, pick at D.C. or at least one of his top picks at D.C. Um, ben, when this, I guess it wasn't too much of a shock, right? Because after they miss out on uh, Giro Avero, Brian Flores pretty quickly becomes the guy, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they liked both those guys an awful lot, you know, kind of from the beginning. And, and Avero was a a tricky process in the sense, and, and we get into more of this later, so we don't need to belabor it a ton now, but he was under contract with the Broncos until Saturday. Panthers, of course, come in and hire him on Sunday. Flores was the, you know, it was those two guys really in at the at the top of the list. So once Ivero comes off the list, then Flores is the obvious fit. Flores had interviews scheduled with the Broncos for their defensive coordinator job, you know, more on the Broncos saga later. And he was going to interview, I think, a second time for the Cardinals head coaching job. So you kind of thought that there's a chance this thing could go quickly, especially if the Vikings want to get in ahead of all of these other interviews. Because, you know, if the, if the Broncos were to interview him tomorrow in Denver, then it's conceivable they could hire him. So I think that probably put a little bit of a, a deadline on things and and they got it done this afternoon to get him in to be their new defensive coordinator. He had interviewed a couple of weeks ago. It sounds like it went very well. He and O'Connell, of course, had worked together in New England when O'Connell was a rookie quarterback. Flores was on their coaching staff, I think, working special teams at the time. So they go back a ways, and Flores obviously comes from the Belichick tree, and O'Connell thinks very highly of Bill Belichick from his time with him there. So yeah, Flores was was always going to be a guy they they liked quite a bit. And I, I think uh, O'Connell's relationship with Giro Avero made it very likely that had Avero been able to interview, he would have had a good chance to be the guy. But I know they're awfully excited about – they were excited about both these candidates, and they're awfully excited to have Flores in here now. Certainly a guy that comes in with a an impressive resume, and for a lot of reasons that we, we talked about and kind of know from last year with the way things ended with the Dolphins – yeah, you know, part of the only reason he's available, otherwise he'd still be a head coach. But and maybe again at some point. But uh, for now, he's going to be the guy in charge of trying to remake this defense from uh, what it was in 2022. And boy, if you want the Vikings to blitz, if you spent your time yelling at the TV saying, "Ed Donatel, just send more rushers. Just what are you doing? Just do it." Um, this is the guy to do it for you. Yes, uh, it is. I was quickly looking up the blitz rates through pro football reference anyway. And I'm sure you've done the same thing just yep. of the teams he's been on. And boy, it's, yeah, it's 30%, 40% nonstop. Um, they're going to bring a lot of pressures, a lot of varied pressures. It's going to look 
dare I say, in terms of aggressiveness, like a Mike Zimmer-esque defense, right? Maybe more because, I mean, Zimmer's blitz rates, uh, although I think the last year or two he had to just, well, True. especially 2021 20, when Daniel Hunter's hurt and you have to just kind of manufacture pressure however you can. But Zimmer, I think if he had his druthers, liked to send four. I mean, he he was not like a – I mean, he had the double-leg app blitz, certainly, um, and used it to great effect, at least certainly during the first number of years in Minnesota, had a lot of overload pressures that he used a little bit later on when teams started to catch on to the double-leg app stuff. But was not like a, a high-volume – Blitzer for the most part. Um, Flores has been near the top of the league in blitz rates. I, I think the Dolphins, his last year as the head coach, were third. It was like 28.5%. And certainly the Patriots have, have done it over the years too. So you pair that with the man coverage stuff, it is going to look a lot different. Now the question I think will be, do they feel like they have the personnel to pull that off? And that that to me is, is going to be one of the first things that it's going to be interesting to hear him talk about is he likes, he's played a lot of man coverage over the years. That's been the bill Belichick staple. He took a lot of that to Miami with him, you know, did some different things, but the, a lot of the coverage was cover zero cover one, which the Vikings didn't play hardly at all until the end of last season when O'Connell said, we need to do something different. So do they feel like they have the corners, especially I think to do that all the time, that's going to be, one of the very interesting things to watch this offseason because Flores may come in here and look at all these corners and say, uh, we need to do a lot of different things. And it's one thing to go cut a bunch of draft picks when it's the previous regime, but when it's guys you drafted a year ago that you like, that you have invested in, uh, having a new defensive voice, analyze players like Andrew Booth, Caleb Evans, it's going to be really fascinating to see how this goes because this, I think on a base level, could be a lot different. I mean, the, the approaches could be a lot different. It's just going to be a question of, do you feel like the personnel you have or can get is going to fit that? Yeah. I remember those Miami teams that Brian Flores um, was in charge of in terms of just those defenses. And uh, besides the blitzes, it, it was, you know, Xavier Howard playing at his best by, yeah. by the end of that. It was um, Obviously, he had some issues, some high-profile issues with players here and there. I remember there was the Kenny Stills stuff with uh, the anthem protests. There was there's uh, the the who got traded to the Steelers, and then he ended up reunited with a Minka Fitzpatrick. I think there was yeah. some stuff there reported. Uh, who knows exactly what went on? But anyway, point being, got a lot out of those secondaries and, and needed secondaries that, as you said, could cover man to man, be trusted on islands. And boy, does he come into a situation. <laughs> I just wonder, there's got to be so many changes going on at corner of this off season because I, I don't, can Patrick Peterson at this age, just transition to becoming that man-to-man guy again yeah. um, is, is Cam Dantzler, who frankly wasn't that good in either system going to suddenly take a leap. Are these young guys you're banking on? Like you mentioned with Andrew Booth specifically, can he take that, that leap that as one of the youngest players in the 2022 NFL draft, um, he's really on a steep learning curve here yeah. in terms of what they need from him. So corner for the Vikings was already an issue. And with the way Brian Flores likes to play defense, I feel like it puts even more of an onus on that position. Yeah. And, and we'll find out over time how much this is going to be the typical Brian Flores schemes or how much of it's going to be what they did in the past with possibly some different flavors. I mean, it, it could be that 
you know, it could be that they play some of the same things that they did with maybe a little bit more aggressive coverage kind of contours within that, I, I suppose. But I, I think the assumption would be when Brian Flores has played a certain way for as long as he has, and let's remember he was the defensive play caller for the Patriots the year they shut the Rams, shut Sean McVay down in Super Bowl 53. He was calling plays by that point, and that kind of sprung him to um, the head coaching job in Miami the year after that. I think he'd already probably locked it up, but he was calling plays for that team that year. Um, how they go about it, I think if he is given – you know, free reign of doing things the way he wants to do them, it would be safe to assume it's going to look a lot like what he did in New England and Miami. And the Patrick Peterson question to me is really interesting because Patrick Peterson, when he came in here, one of the draws for him was I'm going to be able to press again. I want I want to play the way that I've always played. I remember talking to him before that season and he said, they're going to let me be Patrick P2 Peterson again, meaning I played some zone stuff at the end in Arizona. I didn't like it. I get to go back to being a man cover corner. Um, and he he played well enough, and Zimmer's scheme was not you know, exclusively man. It was, you know, matchup zone kind of stuff. But he, he got to play a little bit more man in it. Last year, he has an awfully good year, and he said, this scheme is better for me at this point in my, at this point in my career. I don't have to run around quite as much. Um, we saw the Giants go after him a lot when they started playing more man stuff in that first game. He gets an interception, and then they went after him again in the playoff game. So does he factor in? Does he come back? Uh, what do you do with him? I, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch. I think he wants to be here, and I think he does a lot of good for that room. But, yeah, where does he fit in all of this? And and the Dantzler one, to me, is really interesting, too, because – I, I I don't know that Dantzler is at the center of their plans anymore. In fact, the fact that they had Duke Shelley playing ahead of Dantzler towards the end of the season probably tells you that. But does Brian Flores feel like he can get something out of him? I'm sure he'll be here through camp, and you probably see what you have. But, uh, yeah, that, that one is going to be awfully interesting to watch, too. And, you know, how much does Flores say, hey, we need to go get a corner with one of these few high draft picks that we have? as opposed to other needs. I I think uh, lots to be determined there in the next five, six weeks, and then in the next few months into the draft too. I forgot that he was the play caller of that Super Bowl. Um, that was one of the more impressive yeah. uh, de- defensive performances in any Super Bowl. I think we've yes. seen just considering that offense, considering Todd Gurley, uh, how well uh, that Sean McVay had Jared Goff running that system. Um I remember too some reactions from like analysts and former players on social media during that Super Bowl about how the Patriots had schemed up against the play action of the Rams and how innovative they were in terms of taking out some of the leak concepts of the bootlegs. Yeah. Anyway, just a bunch of wonky stuff. But point being that yeah, he's come from a lot of impressive, especially with the Patriots, a lot of impressive coaching and with Mike Tomlin last year in, in Pittsburgh, uh franchise that somehow I still don't think has had a losing season under Mike Tomlin. No. Um, so it's if this was at all any kind of one B option for them and Mike and Brian Flores, it is is a pretty good one. It would seem on the outset, uh, at least one that comes with a much better in recent pedigree and track record than their previous hire in Ed Donatel. Yeah. And and the question, I think, is going to be how long is he here? I mean, I, I yeah. think that you know, that question has already come up tonight. That's from people kind of tweeting at me about it, but. 
they know that I, 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 I've had enough conversations with people involved in it to know that they, they understand that possibility that he's one and done and possibly he's a head coach again next year. I, I think if that were to happen, it probably means the defense had a pretty good year. So, you know, they, they kind of take that, I think, and, and, yeah. and go oh, forward yeah. with it, uh, especially after last year, nobody was banging on a door to hire no. any of their defensive coaches after that. And it would mean that you get draft picks because the NFL now has that system where if you have a minority assistant coach that is hired to be a head coach, I think you get two third round picks as, as compensatory picks, I, I believe. So for draft capital, the NFL is trying to incentivize teams to um, give candidates of color a fair chance at jobs and, if that were to happen, the Vikings have some benefit from that. It does probably mean that you have to have people in your building that are ready to take over and, and have kind of a succession plan in place if Flores does go get a job again next year. But I think, you know, you, you kind of know that and you worry about that as it comes. But I, they certainly would not be shocked or caught off guard by that possibility. I I and fairly comfortable in saying they have gone in with their eyes open on that. Yeah. Reading up on the compensatory picks for minority candidates, I believe it is a third rounder for um, either a head coaching hire or a GM or a front office executive, I believe. Yeah. From what I'm reading here, but anyway, yeah, you're right. It's, it's an incentive certainly. Um for what they're doing here and, and a, a marked change from Ed Donatel in the passive styles um, of defense that they were playing in that three, four, they will stick in the three, four. It'll look a lot different though in 2023 for Kevin O'Connell. And then it, when we've heard Kevin talk throughout the season, it just seems like this was kind of a style that he had wanted and was trying to will in terms of just the aggressiveness on defense. Yeah, I mean, he said it pretty pointedly after that Detroit game, and you saw them change in the coming weeks. In fact, I think a lot of the stuff the Giants put in was, you know, for that Christmas Eve game, they put in a lot of the mesh concepts, a lot of man-beater stuff, because they had seen the Vikings play a lot more man against the Colts, which was the the game after O'Connell kind of talked about, we need to do something different. And that was when we started to see them put Peterson on the boundary and and say, let's just take away the easy throws to the short side of the field. So I think that went into it. But, yeah, they did do it a lot different towards the end. And I, I think ultimately a lot of it was just they weren't able to get pressure. And when you didn't blitz and you weren't getting home with four, it's not a lot you can do. I mean, that puts you in a bad spot no matter what your coverage looks like on the back end. And I think that'll certainly be quite a bit different this year, too. So, um yeah, a guy like Eric Kendricks, I'm I'm interested to see what this means for him. Um, yeah, there's a lot of guys. I think this is going to be a really fascinating change. Ed Donatel was so married to his four-man rush, he sent just six, five or more, uh, five or excuse me, six times he sent five plus man rushes against the Giants. Like just six times. Yeah. And that was after pressuring and blitzing him 30 plus percent of the time in that Christmas Eve win. Even though Daniel Jones still threw for 330 yards. <laughs> so I'm trying to remember, and I have to go back and watch it, but how much man, I'm trying to think how much man coverage they played in that playoff game. Because if, if you're only sending four and then you're playing man, so your guys are have their backs turned. I, I admittedly, I'm wild. 
Yeah, I admittedly um, only watched the TV copy back of yeah. it because when I rewatched it, it was before the the coaches was out, so I, I couldn't speak to like the coverages and exactly what they were doing. But uh, whatever it was, it wasn't working. Yeah, <laughs> and a big yeah. part of it too was like the perimeter runs, right? Like you didn't need to see the back back safeties to see what was going wrong because it was like. The first play was a 13-yard Saquon Barkley run, and then Daniel Jones is stiff-arming Patrick Peterson. Um, Jones was so quick to run when they uh, had a four-man rush and throw against the blitz the few times he saw that blitz. Yeah. Uh, it was just too easy, too easy, yeah. and, and no interior pressure, just two rushers, basically. Um, yeah, they got a lot to fix, as we will detail uh, for some time to come here this offseason, but uh, unless there's anything else to add, we can treat our listeners to the uh, second half of this podcast. <laughs> yes, we'll take you back in time uh, in the hours before, well, in the minutes before, because I, I think it was less than 45 minutes. I think yeah. we got done at like a little after four o'clock, and I think the news broke about 4.30. So, yeah, it, it was uh, the body was still warm, so to speak, uh, when the news broke. So. Yeah, you can you can go back and listen to what we found to be uh, still relevant from that podcast uh, in the next half, and, and maybe maybe our uh, outtakes will become available on a, at some other point in the future. But until then, you'll just have to imagine what we said. We um, yeah, we'll pick up here with we did a lot of talking about how we got to this point, the winding path, and nearly three weeks search for the Vikings' defensive coordinator, and some dim steam at the end of it too. A little spoiler. Say that again. There was some Zim steam towards the end of that too. So a little, uh, little teaser to keep you continuing to listen. A certain former Vikings head coach does get talked about. Um, but thank you guys for listening to this and uh, enjoy the rest. Yes, uh, it was a lot of dominoes last weekend. So basically, here's the deal. Um, Ijiro Avero, the former Broncos coordinator who has a good relationship with Kevin O'Connell from their time together with the Rams, was at the very top of their list, Brian, he and Brian Flores, I would say were the two guys at the, at the top of their list, but they, they liked Averro a lot and they were planning to interview him soon this week. Once the Broncos allowed him to talk to other teams about defensive coordinator openings, Averro was still under contract with the Broncos. And for most of last week, Sean Payton was not allowing him to talk to other teams about defensive coordinator jobs because that would have been a lateral move. He finally relented on that on Saturday. Well, then Sunday, the Panthers, who had a defensive coordinator opening, come through and offer Ivero a big deal to come be their defensive coordinator. They had talked to him about their head coaching job in mid-January, so he had already had some face time with them. That might have gotten them a little further, but I think they came in with an awfully strong offer and the Vikings would have been doing it having not talked to Ivero in person yet. And I, obviously they know him well enough from O'Connell's time with him that I don't know that that made a huge difference, but I, I know the Panthers came in strong and he's now there. So that leaves us with Flores being the guy at the top of the list. The Broncos were also interested in talking to him about their defensive coordinator job. They started kind of making requests for all of the people that the Vikings were interested in last week. Now, there was some thought, I think, that it was, let's put it this way. There was some suspicion that Sean Payton was making those requests with Flores to force the Vikings hand because he wanted to keep Averro, trying to make, make them think, 
oh, we got a quick move on Flores so that we have somebody. And then the, the Broncos can just keep Averro. But didn't work out that way. So we'll have to see how strong of a candidate Flores is in Denver. Sean Desai, who had also interviewed for the Vikings job, is a candidate in Denver. Uh, has said he's pulled out of the Vikings job, though my sense from people I've talked to is that Desai was not that strong of a candidate in Minnesota anyway. So read into it what you will as far as him pulling out of the running of the Vikings job. But that's where we're at. It's been (laughs) kind of a wild week of twists and turns with, I mean, it looked Saturday evening like, okay, they're going to interview Averro next week and he's probably going to be the guy. And then the Panthers come in and and snatch him before the Vikings could talk to him. With Averro out, Flores now is their top guy, right? Yeah, he certainly is. I mean, I, they they like him a lot. O'Connell and Flores had a good relationship. O'Connell, remember, was in New England when Flores was on that staff kind of at the beginning of his coaching career. Flores obviously was with Bill Belichick for quite a long time before he went to Miami. And O'Connell and he, I think, had a good interaction in their interview. Uh, you know, there were six, seven, eight-hour interviews in person in uh, in, at the Vikings facility in Egan. And I think they went through a lot of things about how the defense would work. It sounds like it's a lot of opportunities to say, hey, how would you critique what we are doing? Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of those things from the people I've talked to, that went into a lot of the interview process. So I, I think they got a lot of frank feedback on how things worked last year and, and how they might look different. So we'll see if Flores ends up coming here. The, the other interesting wrinkle with Flores, of course, with Denver is – the Broncos are one of the teams that he is suing. Yes. The, the, the teams in that lawsuit that he filed a year ago about uh, alleging racial bias in head, the head coaching process with sham interviews and that whole thing. The Broncos were, are one of the defendants in the suit. So uh, if, in fact, this is all kind of a, a shell game, uh, I don't know that that would be the guy that you would want to do that with. Um, and I'll throw one other thing in here while, while we're uh, – spilling tea there was a little bit of chatter over the weekend that sean payton uh, he has a good friend that has been a defensive coordinator in the past and has been a vikings head coach in the past so there was some chatter and we'll see if this happens but that sean payton may be interested in bringing mike zimmer in as his defensive coordinator the vikings uh for those who are interested in this angle and i can't imagine anybody would be but they play at denver next season so Lots going on there. My head's spinning. Ben's got so much information right now. I'm glad we're doing a podcast. Um, you know, it's uh, here's the thing. I got two. I got two thoughts. One, I, I feel like Flores is. If they wind up with Flores, I think this whole process will have been just fine. They just had to be patient. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with Mike Patton. I think he's run successful defenses. It just feels like it'd be a PR loss at this point to have set your sights on other candidates, and then to wind up with somebody who was already on a staff on a defense that, that was completely underwhelming this year. Even if even if that wasn't his doing, even if that was a lot of Ed Donatel and a lot of the personnel, how, however you want to parse that, it would feel like a letdown. Not, not because I don't think Patton couldn't do a good job, but because because of, you know, you've got this ambition, you've got a team coming off a 13-4 and four season where the defense was clearly the problem. If you can't make a major upgrade there and, and go out and get somebody that you think is a major upgrade there. And you kind of wind up, you know, with somebody already on your staff, it, it will feel a little bit underwhelming. Part two is Zimmer, man. That'd be awesome. That'd be pretty crazy. If he was back in the league um, with Denver, 
uh, playing for Sean Payton, who a lot of Vikings fans hate, by the way, uh, already just from various uh, bounty gate situations, uh, various uh, doing the skull clap right before the Minneapolis miracle. Like Sean Payton has a lot of enemies here already. You add Mike Zimmer to that staff. That would be really an interesting mix over there uh, for people to, uh, to think about uh, as Vikings fans. It would also be really interesting to see if George Payton, the GM still there would allow it. Right, Ben? Yeah. 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 And I, I think that whole mix with the uh, George Payton, Sean Payton, thing is going to be really fascinating to watch because you know George Payton took that job a year ago hired Nathaniel Hackett obviously that didn't work out so this is New. his second head coach in as many years and you have a guy in Sean Payton obviously that has a pretty uh, well decorated resume in the NFL and and may be interested in having a little more clout in how the roster is built than Nathaniel Hackett would have been as a first-time head coach. So how that all shakes out in Denver for Peyton and a lot of other former Vikings people, frankly, in that front office, it's going to be really interesting to watch. I, I think this whole thing is going to be very fascinating. And would Peyton, would George Peyton, we got to keep our Peyton straight. Yes. Would George no Payton relation, different you? spelling, yeah. Yes, and then uh, if Peyton Manning, of course, is involved in anything there uh, as a Broncos alum and the last Broncos quarterback to win the Super Bowl, it gets even more confusing because that's another different spelling of Peyton. Yes. So um, if Sean Peyton wanted Mike Zimmer and George Peyton had some reservations about it based on Zimmer's time in Minnesota, who wins out on that? I don't know. So, uh, yeah, very fascinating to watch uh vikings west and the vikings themselves over the next couple of weeks here be a new triangle tri- new triangle of authority yeah <laughs> i did not catch the pro bowl games this weekend but i saw the clip of the ending of the flag football game did you guys happen to see this i watched it live i i was not planning oh, to watch any of it ben i ben. so okay th- i was not planning to watch any of it but then i saw all this chatter on twitter about um that Cousins was in there, like, okay, fine, I'll turn it on. Um, he threw a couple darts at the end. I, I everybody was bragging <laughs> on him for a fourth, fourth down, check down, or something. I, I didn't see that, but he he threw a couple darts at the end, and then they had there was a rule that you couldn't run the ball, um, inside the five yard line or inside the 10 yard line or something. So Cousins asked the ref on the last play of the game, Can I take a knee? And the ref said yes. So he takes a knee. And then Peyton Manning comes running out on the field saying, you can't run the ball within the 10-yard line. And Cousins says, sorry, he told me I could take a knee. It's over. And then Justin Jefferson's like waving goodbye to Peyton Manning. So it was, I don't know, it was kind of fun. It was classic galaxy brain Peyton Manning to be like, <laughs> I know the rules about this thing that literally nobody yes. else cares about. The ref, who I think was from the Big Ten, didn't even yeah. really know the rules because they Kirk was saying the ref told me I could kneel it. Peyton saying, I know the rules. No, you can't. Yeah. And then Kirk, poor Kirk, can't avoid even – he can't have just a normal ending to a game even in that. That no. poor guy. <laughs> yeah, Ju- Justin Jefferson, the uh, the kiss-off to Peyton Manning was was kind of funny. I mean, it's I suppose there's money on the line and people are – you know, it's – Type A personalities, alpha male types that that want to win. So, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I think somebody said something on the broadcast about um, that Cousins was taking more copious notes than anybody else in the meetings, and that that tracks. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Mike, I know you got to go soon. Any more final thoughts? I mean, it's just it's been a a little bit of a peculiar offseason. I just I I thought Ben's um, look at the 
you know, kind of eight, there's an 18 pending free agents. I thought that was interesting over, you know, whenever that came out, I read that with the, with great interest. It just, it, it still just feels to me like a, a team that's got to be in a certain amount of, of transition. I'm going to be really, I'm going to be really fascinated to see kind of what direction they, they ultimately go, how, how far into remaking kind of retooling on the fly they go here how much they think you know they need to cut to spend or cut to start over or keep to keep kind of keep this whatever momentum they had from a 13 and 4 season going i just i I don't get a great sense from them yet what they're going to do and i think that makes this a pretty interesting offseason um ben i'm curious i want to talk with you have you gotten a sense at all i would imagine on that very veteran coaching staff that they had on defense there are guys they probably want to keep, especially if if Mike Pettin ends up being retained. Um, I think of Mike Smith, the edge rusher coach. Yeah. Um, I do know that Durante Jones in the secondary is well respected, as you've talked yeah. about too. So, uh, what do you think about the assistants on the staff? And is is a is a coach is this job being offered much of a clean slate for a new coach, or is he, or does a coach have to come in and kind of fit uh, what they already have working? Well, I think they are hoping to keep a number of the current assistants and yeah, Mike Smith and Mike Pettin, that would, that would make a ton of sense because they work together in green Bay. I would expect Mike Smith would stay in that capacity. And yes, they like Durante Jones. I think they see him as a guy they want to invest in for the future. And and that's the other piece of this too, is if Brian Flores does get the job, you probably have to be thinking about who the next guy is. Because if Brian Flores gets it and he's one and done because he gets a head coaching job in a year, you have to kind of be ready for that. And that that wouldn't be a bad thing for the Vikings in the sense that it probably means their defense played pretty well. And they would get compensatory picks, I believe, for a minority uh, assistant coach becoming a head coach as a result. So, you know, they, they're aware of that possibility and, and kind of knowing that they would need to have somebody waiting in the wings if that were to happen. And yeah, if, if they had a good year defensively and Flores was leaving to be a head coach, it, I, I don't think anybody would be terribly shocked or terribly upset about that. I, I think they go into this with their eyes fairly open, but yeah, I mean, I think they, they plan to keep a lot of their current assistants and, you know, as far as a clean slate of, of people bringing in some of their own people, I, I think Flores would have that option. I think he'd have the option to bring in a few people that he likes. But, you know, I, I don't expect a ton of drastic turnover with the rest of the coaching staff on that side of the ball. I mean, you know, there'll probably be a move or two, but I don't think it'd be a blow everybody out and hire a whole new set of coaches as a result. I know Brian Flores runs a different style of, of 3-4, but it has traditionally been much of a 3-4, right? So it's it would seem like that's going to be what they stay in moving forward. Uh, in yeah. I mean, affects their roster. yeah, it, it's interesting because I mean, Ryan Nielsen, who they talked to, and I, I sounds like that went well, he he's kind of come from a four, three background. So I think they have had a lot of people kind of weigh into what they were doing. I, I don't know that that would mean that the scheme itself is going to change in a, in a major way. And, and O'Connell has pointed out, you know, every time it's come up, I think it's usually been me bringing it up in press conferences, the the four, three versus three, four thing. And every time he says, look, we, we spend 75 to 80 percent of the time in sub packages anyway, because that's just the way the league goes now. So I think he sees that kind of as a distinction without a difference that, 
you know, it, it, I think it does matter to guys like Daniel Hunter that have a different role in the base defense because of it. But, uh, you know, that's a handful of snaps a game, I guess, where if you're a nickel most of the time or in a sub package most of the time, he's playing with his hand in the ground just like he always has. So, um, yeah, I, I think some of this becomes, hey, take a look at what we did and tell us how you would alter it or how, how you could change it. Um, you know, if, if Flores comes in, it certainly would still be a 3-4. And I would expect that's probably how they're going to stay. But the, the Flores thing, the interesting thing there is, obviously, he comes from a very different school of coverage than Ed Donatel did. I mean, that is Bill Belichick. That is a lot of man coverage. He played a lot of that in Miami. It's a lot of single high stuff. It's a lot more press. I mean, they, in theory, I guess, have corners that could do that. I mean, you have guys that are big enough to do it. Caleb Evans, Andrew Ruth. Cameron Dantzler, Patrick Peterson has played a lot of it in his career, although the the Fangio thing worked fairly well for him last year. Um, but you have a lot of corners that haven't proven that they can do it in the NFL. So switching to that, I think, would be a very interesting uh, set of changes if, in fact, it went that way. Yeah, and, and how much they change it is so interesting too, right? Because as we've seen transitioning from Mike Zimmer to – Quasi transitioning this roster from Mike Zimmer to Kevin O'Connell defensively for Matt Donatel, I guess. Um, we saw the struggle of guys making that switch. And now if you're yeah. all of a sudden drafting for a three, four, and then saying, well, no, now we're going to switch to a man heavy three, four. Yeah. How does that affect the draft picks that you had? Do, does yeah. Booth Evans still fit the same way? Um, it, it'll be fascinating just to see and watch here as it plays out. Is there anything more, I guess I should ask you from the defensive coordinator standpoint that, that we haven't talked about that we should get to? Um, not, not terribly. I, I don't think, I mean, I, I think overall they have felt okay about how this process has gone that I think the frustration was with the fact that they couldn't talk to Avero sooner. And, you know, the, the fact that the Panther, I mean, I suppose you can, you can make a, you can make somebody an offer they can't refuse anytime you want as soon as he's available and, and, you know, that's not something we have all the details on in terms of who made what offers, but I do wonder if they had been able to talk to him sooner in the week, if that would have given them a little bit better, you know, chance at this. I, I do wonder the fact that he had spent the time with the Panthers already had already met ownership had already met the front office, had a little bit better sense of who he'd be working for. If that, had made a difference in that regard. I, um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of been an interesting set of <laughs> turns here um, as they've gone through all of it. And he's probably being promised more of a clean slate over there, just not just yeah. in terms of his coaching staff, but everything, right? Like it's a new coaching staff. Tepper's trying to turn things over from an ownership standpoint. Um, you know, Flores or Petten, they're jumping on a ship that's already moving and, even even as much as they do need to kind of fix and curtail that roster. Um, I, the What's fascinating to me is the Vikings versus Sean Payton and the annals <laughs> that are being added to this, yeah. where the Vikings beat them twice in the playoffs. They really play an integral role in keeping Drew Brees from multiple Super Bowl titles, probably. Yeah. yeah. And now Sean Payton turns around and just destroys the Vikings on a meaningless regular season game on Christmas Day and now is seemingly being petty about the coaching stuff? Yeah, I mean, it may just be that school. I mean, there, there are a couple of different schools of thought on this, and and I think you've heard Kevin O'Connell and Quasi Adolfo Mensa talk about if we have guys that 
get promoted and get other jobs in other places, it is ultimately a good thing in the sense that it speaks well of what we're doing. It speaks well of this is a place where you can come and advance and move up quickly. Um, you know, other coaches may have a different thought on this. I mean, I think back to Mike Zimmer with this, with Kevin Stefanski. I mean, it, this was almost the same situation. In fact, it may have been even a step further. And, and it's different because you could do this back then. I mean, back in, in 2018, you could still block coaches from seeking promotions as long as it was not for a head coaching spot. So Kevin Stefanski had the opportunity to go to the Giants and become Pat Shermer's offensive coordinator when Pat Shermer got that job after the Vikings to the NFC Championship game. Zimmer blocked him from that. And they ultimately hired John Filippo over Stefanski to be the offensive coordinator. And that was, of course, when Zimmer talked at the Combine about, you know, I didn't fire everybody when we had a bad year. So if I'm going to be loyal to you, you should be loyal to me and not seek out opportunities to, to advance your career and, or take a promotion when you can. So there is, I think there are a couple of different ways of thinking about this. And, and Mike Zimmer, I know, has had times in his career where he'd been blocked. And I don't know if Sean Payton had the same experience at, at times in his career, but you know, that may be some of the thought process there too, just a, a different school of thought on, on what you do. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it is an interesting wrinkle to the whole thing because yeah, I, I don't think that was terribly well received last week when that took as long as it did. And I, I don't think Ejiro Avero was terribly happy about it either. From what we've heard, Mike Zimmer was not too happy about Sean Payton doing what he did on Christmas Day with Camara. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, they were able to set that aside and do their Zimmer or Payton slash Zimmer redemption tour 2023. That would be that would be quite something. If that happens, <laughs> um, I imagine everybody's going to probably say all the right things that week. But yeah, um, suffice it to say that game. Uh, I think you. you I, I don't know if the national TV networks will be as interested in this subplot as we are, but if that ended up being higher, and I, I don't know that it's going to be, I, I, I guess if you, if I'm betting on it, I'm not betting on Mike Zimmer getting that job or, you know, wanting to do it or, or whatever. Um, there's also the issue of what his contract would look like. Cause he's still being paid by the Vikings this year. So trying to figure out offset language and all that kind of stuff, I, I think would be, an interesting wrinkle to that whole thing as well. But I, if it, if it was Zimmer and Peyton against the Vikings, um, yeah, that, uh, that, that would, that'd be a good one for, for national TV. That's for sure. Yeah. We should reiterate that Deion Sanders keeps insisting that Mike Zimmer's joining his staff in Colorado uh, in some capacity. He has not detailed what capacity that would be, but um, it seems that Mike Zimmer is going to college, but we know these things change quickly and it yeah. is not, it is not official with Mike Zimmer in Colorado. So we will have to see what happens to the old grizzled Vikings head coach. What are your thoughts uh, on the Super Bowl? Uh, Eagles chiefs. Does this matchup tell you anything about uh, the NFL that you didn't already know? Not particular. I mean, these are the two number one seeds. I, yeah, yeah. The fact that the Eagles have done what they've done, um, you know, when Jalen Hurts was such a question mark at the beginning of the season, you know, they, they've, built this thing around him, I think, for an awfully long time. And, you know, it's a lot of stuff that <laughs> makes life fairly easy for him in the sense that, you know, a lot of the stuff, the line of scrimmage, all the runs um, play to his strengths and and he gives him a fair amount of command of, of how he wants to do things. And they've got, they've got a lot of weapons 
on that offense. I, you know, it, I guess if anything, it is a reminder that, um, having a deep set of weapons in their capacity is, is awfully important. But then on the other side of it, you have the chiefs who traded away Tyree kill and they're right back where they were. So you know, maybe Patrick Mahomes just makes that big of a difference, but it, it's a fascinating matchup in that sense that you have one team that has loaded up after, you know, <laughs> taking Jalen Rager instead of Justin Jefferson, they have done everything they could to correct that mistake with AJ Brown and Devontae Smith. And then the Chiefs say, we can't afford to keep Tyree Kill. We'll just manage it without him. And uh, they haven't really missed a beat. So, yeah, just the incredibleness of Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he's every time you watch him, it's he's yeah. the far, far in the way, I think, the best player in the NFL. Yeah, um, he'll be the MVP at the end of the week, I would think. And Justin Jefferson probably went offensive player of the year, but I, I can't imagine Patrick Mahomes is not going to be the MVP. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose we should mention that too. Thursday night, that'll get unveiled. I, Wes Phillips said it. Everybody thinks it that wide receiver cannot possibly win NFL MVP. And you mentioned the two guys that Justin Jefferson is up against. Um, Mark Craig, our Mark Craig, who votes on such things among a panel of 49 others, I believe, yeah. um, has talked about how this whole finalist nonsense for all these awards is just the NFL releasing the voting ahead of time, yep. releasing just the top five and not telling yep. you what order they're in and calling them the finalists. But, yeah, the voting's already done. Yeah, yep. So we do know Justin Jefferson's in that mix, right? Which means yeah. he can receive votes, which is, uh, that's incredible enough, I suppose, for a wide receiver. Yeah. And the voting process changed this year, too. It used to just be yeah. you ranked your number one guy, and now they are doing uh, one through five. It's a, a ranked choice thing, which is how most other sports work. I remember uh, having an MVP vote when I covered baseball, and I think you had to rank one through 10, and you had points assigned to, you know, everybody on the list. So you, you have to think pretty seriously in that spot about, okay, who's seventh, who's eighth, knowing that it could have some effect on things. And, you know, players have clauses and contracts that can be affected by where they finish and in, in some of these award voting things as well. So, you know, that adds a layer to it. I do think it makes it a little easier for someone that's not a quarterback to be in the mix because you, know, you can get a bunch of third place votes and, and make a nice showing for yourself. I, I think, I mean, Jefferson, I think, even said something to the effect the other day of knowing he's not going to win. So um, he was the PFWA, the Pro Football Writers of America, um, Offensive Player of the Year, where Patrick Mahomes was the MVP. And that group does contain quite a few of the AP voters for these awards. So that may be a little bit of a tell of where we're going. I, I think Justin Jefferson probably will be Offensive Player of the Year, which is a heck of an award in and of itself. But yeah, I, that would be my guess is that he's going to win that on Thursday night. Patrick Mahomes will be your MVP. Be hard to argue with that. I hope so. Oh, so yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, because I like Hertz. I like him a lot, but I feel like it would be just a redistribution thing if it went to him as a, as a guy who had a surprising season. Um, all right. Well, that'll be it for this episode of the Access Vikings podcast. Thank you guys for checking this out. Please follow all of our work at startribune.com.